It's, uh, it's wonderful to be back in, uh, uh, with us on a Sunday. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much to those of you who prayed for my visit to our churches in Texas. Uh, I'll probably reflect on it more another time, but it was uh, probably the most significant of the four trips we've done to Texas so far. Our churches in Austin and Fort Worth are both doing really well. Uh, in Austin, we were uh, commending three uh, men to the church for eldership, and uh, in a few weeks' time, Guy will be back out there to lay hands on those uh, men uh, as elders of the church in Austin. Uh, Fort Worth, we were uh, having uh, some really good times with the two leadership couples there, talking about adding another uh, couple into the leadership there of uh, that church, uh, which was good. And uh, we did a, our first ever combined t- uh, churches in Texas celebration together in a, a town called Waco. Some of you will remember Waco because of some uh, awful things which happened there, I guess, 25 years ago involving a cult. Um, I just want to say, uh, wow, what a change in a town, hearing something of the story of the church whose premises we were meeting in. Uh, a church which has grown from roughly 3,000 to 5,000 in the last two years. And uh, we, we met in their office building, uh, which is about the size of the whole of Alton Maltings, including the part which we haven't yet touched at the north end there. Um, uh, and we borrowed a, sort of a staff room, which was about not quite the size of Wesley. Um, that's the large hall downstairs uh, for our uh, joint church's celebration. And just phenomenal what God was, is doing in that town, which pretty much people have written off after that disaster 25 years ago. And yet, actually seeing a lot of people coming to faith and uh, growing in Christ and a real sense of God's hand on that town, uh, which is just so exciting to see. And if anybody's into Joanne Chip, that was their church. And we drove past Magnolia on the way out, but didn't stop. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry. Um, just I know some people are. <coughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so over this uh, last year, we've been uh, uh, focusing as a, as a church on how we can develop and grow in a culture of outworking who we are in Christ, that is living out who we are in Christ by considering four particular characteristics we want to be known for as a church. That's all of us. That's not uh, a church as in an institution, organization, the church being us. And the uh, words have come up on the screen. We've talked about being genuine or real. Uh, I was listening to the recordings a couple of days ago uh, of Nathan preaching on Hannah uh, two weeks ago. And wasn't he real as he told his own story of how God uh, can free us to be really Real, And he talked about being really real. We have a phrase which we've uh, used in the past, being really real through lies of truth, integrity, honesty, and openness, a way of describing what it is to be genuine. And then last week, Sean grabbed hold of uh, the Apostle Paul and helped us to see how we can be thankful in every circumstance. And uh, again, just wonderful seeing uh, and listening to uh, Sean, it, bringing that to life. Uh, Funnily enough, while I was in America, I, I was in a store. I got taken into a store by the people who are hosting me. 
And uh, I was just wandering around it, and uh, there was a, a little wall plaque you could buy, a picture you could pack, uh, buy, and it said this, gratitude turns what we have into enough, or thankfulness turns what we have into enough. And I thought, wow, that's a powerful statement. Actually, gratitude or thankfulness leads to contentment. And, of course, Paul models that so well throughout his life, that deep sense of contentment in God. Um, And then today we're going to be looking at uh, what it means to be generous. And we're going to be considering a man in the Old Testament called Abram. Not Abraham. At this point, his name is Abram. We'll be looking at him in a moment. And then next week, Nathan is going to be looking at what it means to be courageous and looking at the life and death, I think, of Stephen. And we use the phrase fearless Christianity regardless for what it means to be courageous. We're looking for that fearless Christianity, that fearless expression of our faith regardless of our circumstances. And so this week we're going to be uh, looking at the story of Abraham. We can read about Abraham, sorry, Abraham, who becomes Abraham, uh, in the book of Genesis, chapters uh, 11 through to 25. He also gets mentions elsewhere um, in Hebrews 11, a hero of the faith. He appears in the genealogy of Jesus. He's the father of uh, the, the, the great, 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 I can't remember how many times, grandfather of Jesus. Jesus can trace his family line all the way back to Abraham, as you'll see in um, Matthew chapter 1. And uh, where, where we're going to do, what we're going to do today is we're going to pick up a bit of Abraham's story in Genesis chapter 13. If you want to be turning to Genesis chapter 13, you may find that helpful. But just to give a bit of background, Abraham, Abraham could be described as a pagan. He was from Ur of the Chaldeans. And uh, basically... <clears throat> um, His story is a story of how God takes hold of a man and changes and transforms his life. Despite um, many mistakes and failures which Abraham Abraham goes through, Abraham and his wife Sarah go through, uh, God uses him and he puts a promise on Abraham. And uh, he becomes father of a multitude. That's what his name, Abraham, when his name changes to Abraham, it changes. What he's saying is that's part of the promise, father of a multitude. And God puts promises over his life. Effectively, those promises are ones we, in one sense, still live in the benefit of today. Wow. Can you imagine that? A man's life is transformed, and thousands of years later, the blessing of that was on God's people. And we now are God's people in the world today. Powerful, powerful story. So a powerful story of how God can take an ordinary person like you, like me. He can grab hold of our lives. He can meet with us. He can transform us. So let's read uh, from Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. 
From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and I where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarrelling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living at the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarrelling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we're brothers. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. And Father, we ask, actually, Father, we want to say, first of all, thank you. Thank you for how you've come and met with us so far. Thank you for how you've revealed something of your loving mercy and grace to us this morning already for how you're touching hearts and changing lives. We want to honour you, we want to thank you, we want to recognise what you're doing amongst us. And we want to say thank you for your word. Thank you, your word contains everything we need for life and godliness. We ask as we consider just this very small little bit of your word, would you speak to us? Would you empower us to live lives sold out for you? Lives of godliness, lives of grace, lives of mercy. Lives rooted in your grace and mercy, in your love. So speak to us, Lord, we ask. Meet with us, we invite your Holy Spirit of God. We say you're so welcome here. Come and do what you want to do. Draw us closer to our Father in heaven. Continue to minister to us, Holy Spirit, we ask that we be a people of the love of God, of the grace of God, of the mercy of God, transformed in you and equipped to see society changed and transformed. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Mm. So you may think, why this story? 
You know, you could tell the story of how Abram takes Isaac up to sacrifice him. I mean, amazing stories, Abram. Why this story? What's what's so important about this story? Why are we looking at this story today? Well, Abram's been blessed with great wealth. Verse 2, we find he's been blessed with great wealth. We don't know how. It could be, if you look back to Genesis 12, verse 16, as a result of actually some uh, rather cunning, you could even say deceitful behavior. Um, because Abram went to, fair, uh, went to Egypt and uh, he tried to protect his wife Sarah from Pharaoh, who he thought would uh, uh, want her for his own. So he said, well, she's just a sister, and he allowed Pharaoh to get close to her, and then Pharaoh suddenly finds out, whoa, it's his wife, and backs off, rightly so. And yeah, Abram's not been a, a wise bunny in that, and yet somehow he gets blessed with a whole load of sheep and cattle for doing that. Don't understand that. Not, not, not endorsing that as you know, a right way of behaving. <laughs> you know, if we're deceitful, we'll get blessed. No, but he does. Somehow, though, Abram has uh, been blessed with great wealth. And then Lot, he seems to also have accumulated lots. Sorry, no pun intended. <laughs> and fundamentally, these two households, by the way, when it talks about being brother, they're not actually brother. He's just referring to them as family, and he is family. These two families, they're two households, come out to explore this amazing land, and they realize that by sticking together, the demands of their sheep, their cattle, their households is too much. So they've got to split up. They've, they need to split up in order to spread across the land, which of course actually is God's desire of us all to in, inherit and inhabit the land, that is the whole earth, and bring his glory to the whole earth. And sometimes he uses our circumstances to take us into places we aren't ready for. And what seems to happen is, therefore, Abraham just decides, well, Lot, you're welcome to make your first choice. We've got to decide how we're going to do this. And Abraham just says, well, Lot, you're welcome. Take your pick. And we see here how Lot appears to take what is the best land. He looks around and goes, there's lots of water down there. That's the place. If you've got lots of sheep and cattle, that's the place to go. So he decides he's going to take what appears to be the best land. Just note, though, you get a little hint in this chapter that actually there's trouble brewing in Sodom and Gomorrah. And only literally the following chapter we see the story of how Lot and his household have to be rescued. I think we've got to remind ourselves, sometimes, sometimes the things which look good aren't always good. Let's not go, oh, that's good, so well, surely we must just take that. We must just do that because it looks good. Let's watch out. But Abram, what's going on with Abram? Why is he allowing Lot to take what's good? Is it because he knows? No, I think basically what's going on here is Abram is expressing his profound and deep trust in God. That whatever happens, God's in control. And therefore it's okay to let Lot have first choice. Why? 
Why would he do that? Because human nature certainly isn't to do that, is it? Human nature is to say, well, that's the, poise, uh, that's the choice pick. I'm the older one here. I get first tips. Have you that, had that with your kids? The oldest one exercises a bit of power perhaps over their younger sibling. You're all looking as though that never happened in your household. Come on, let's be real. Of course it does. The oldest one tries to get first dibs, don't they? They try to go, oh, well, I'm a bit older. Surely I get first choice. None of that here, eh, Abraham? Why is he so confident? Why is he so confident that he says, well, it really doesn't matter a lot. You choose whatever you want. I'll have whatever's left. What's going on there? Well, can I suggest to us this? He is confident in the promises of God. It's as simple as that. He's confident that God is in control of his life. You see, if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, um, beginning of Genesis chapter 12, we have the story here of uh, how God meets with Abram right at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abram could be confident because he knew that he had the promises of God over his life. That God had a plan for him. That God therefore will provide for him in whatever way. Perhaps he'd also learned a lesson through responding to fear in that situation I've just referred to to do with Pharaoh. Perhaps he'd also learned a lesson there where he hadn't responded to trusting in God's purposes. But now he is. He's exercising great faith. He's saying, hey, God's promises and purposes, God's provision of my life is sufficient. I don't need to worry. And therefore, he can be generous. Therefore, he can say, oh, Lot, have what you want. I'll have the rest. I wonder how you feel about that. Is that how you deal with things? Is that how you see things? I ask myself that question. Because we live in a world which says grab and get. Don't let anybody get one over on you. Make sure you look after number one. Make sure you look after yourself. And we can all do that. Where are you at? Do you believe, do you have confidence that God will look after your needs? Will provide for you? Or are you there thinking, no, 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 I've got, to, I've got to make sure I look out for number one. I've got to look out for myself. I would suggest to you that for Abram, the situation is that he is confident about the nature of God. About what God's plan, what God's purposes are for him. What are we? Do you feel confident that God's going to look after you? Do I feel confident that God is a loving father? That he really is a loving father? That is, he, he, he's got my best in store, not my worst.
Where are you today? Please don't, heal, please don't hear any sense of condemnation or judgment from me on this. I'm not here to say, oh, you're no good if, you, if you're not trusting God. I'm just trying to ask the question. I think sometimes we have to stop and reflect and consider, where am I at? In my circumstances today, with what's happening in my life, can I trust God? Can I be sure of him? Is he really a loving father? Will he really look after me? Does he know what's best for his children? Or do I need to work things out? Do I need to fix things? Because you see, as Christians, we live under similar promises to Abram. Let's just consider this for a moment. First thing, God is revealed as a loving father. He's revealed time and time and time again in the scriptures as a loving father. Um, God is love. (laughs) Massive statement. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. You may want to look it up. We looked at that a few months ago. God is love. Wow. So if he's love, he can only act out of love. He's not going to act out of hate. He's not going to be vindictive. He's going to act out of love. Are you sure God's love? Are you sure he's loving? Are we sure of that? If we're not, we're likely to decide we have to sort things for God and not trust him. He's the one who calls us sons. That's not part of his promises over us. He calls us sons. Sons was a status comment that included men and women. That means you've been brought into his family. You've, been ado- you've adopted all the promises and benefits of being part of the family of God. You have an inheritance. You're a, 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 a half-brother of Jesus, effectively. You're brought into the family. What if God's a loving heavenly father to us can we trust him can we trust him can you trust him can i trust him i would like to suggest to you yes absolutely that may then leave the question will i trust him because it's easy to do the theory but we have to do the practical as well Will I trust him? Will I trust him that he'll provide for my needs? Will I trust him that he'll look after me? Will I trust him even when it gets messy? When it gets difficult? When it gets tough? We get something of the heart of God revealed in a a comment Jeremiah makes, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 29 verses 11 where he says this, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's a further reflection of God's heart for his people. Do you know that? Do you believe that? That God has good plans for us? That we can trust him? That he wants to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. Do you feel sure of that? Do I feel sure of that? Yes, on days. And truth be told, some days I'd struggle with it. I think, oh, <laughs> temptation. 
Temptation comes along to fear, to, to respond badly to a situation, to be feeling tired and overwhelmed by something. Of course, we all go through battles. But fundamentally, am I going to trust God? Can I trust him? Do I believe that actually he has good in store? That he is a loving heavenly father, that he delights in us as his children, as his sons, as his daughters? Can I trust him? Elsewhere, Jesus talks about the Father as one who loves to give good gifts. Luke 11, you may want to read that. It's written particularly in the context of the Holy Spirit, but again revealing something of the heart of God for his people. We have a Father who loves to give good gifts to us, his children. Paul describes, uh, when writing to uh, the church in Ephesus, in the first few, bless, uh, first few verses of F, uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 3, talks about how we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Wow. Wow. What's that mean? Have you ever thought about that? Well, surely that means God's going to look after us. Surely that means we've got a father who knows what we need and will provide for us. He's even revealed one of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. But God's revealed in so many other ways. He's revealed as a healer, as the great I am. We need to, friends, we need to have a big picture of God. Because as we see God for who he is, we can draw closer in great confidence and boldness. Being assured of this, that he loves us, that he's got good plans for us, that he has purposes for us, that we don't need to be fearful, we don't need to respond out of fear. And as we get hold of who God is, as we understand that he is uh, uh, um, just so trustworthy, we grow in confidence. We can grow in confidence, confidence that God will look after us confidence that he'll provide and then we can come to actually having considered who God is then just consider his provision we've already talked about God being revealed as Jehovah Jireh but let's understand how God provides well friends let's remember his greatest provision is at the cross he provides for our salvation He provides for us to come into the family of God. He provides for us in the most astonishing way through allowing his son to be sacrificed on the cross. His pure and perfect son to be sacrificed on the cross. He is bountiful and abundant in his provision of loving kindness over us. And yet it seems so easy to say, yes, thank you for that, Father, but I'm not sure you can provide for me for today. Um, Will you provide grace for today? Grace for my sickness today? Grace to cope with this challenge today? Will you provide grace to deal with my family situation today? Will you help me, Lord? Give me grace you know, it's a powerful prayer. I want to encourage us. Let's be, a, let's be a people who pray. God, give me your grace today. Grace for my work colleague who's just awkward and difficult, that I can keep on loving them unconditionally. Grace for this situation where I'm frightened that it could all go pear-shaped, it could all go wrong. Give me grace. Help me to find grace, Lord, today. Let's be a people of grace. 
Just as we've experienced the phenomenal grace of God in our salvation, let's then grab hold of the grace of God for all those little, little bits everyday life. Let's know he'll provide for us, therefore. He'll provide grace for us, yes. He'll also provide us with his love, his kindness, his assurance. He'll meet our needs for that sense of identity, for our sense of security or significance or purpose. He'll call us into what he wants to do in our lives. He'll meet needs for material provision, but let's not make this all about material provision because he'll meet all of our needs. Our emotional needs. He wants His Spirit comes to comfort us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to draw us closer to the Father. Why? Because the Father loves us. The whole provision of His Holy Spirit is an amazing thing of the grace of God. That, we, that He sends His Spirit. If, if it wasn't enough of sending His Son to die for us, He sends His Spirit to do what? To come and live in us. To draw us to the Father, to empower us to live this Christian life. Wow, what is the provision of God? It's massive. It's abundant. It is complete and it is sufficient. It is comprehensive. And any other word you want to come up with like that, it's total. We have a choice though. Am I going to live in the provision of God? Am I going to allow God to be my provider? Part of God's provision for us is he also gives us skills. He teaches us his ways. Part of his provision for us is others loving care over us and our loving care over others that we support, we help, we encourage, we strengthen. We weep with those who weep. We laugh with those who laugh. That we do life together. Do you see that Actually, each other is part of God's provision in our lives. That's why church isn't a meeting. It's a community. It's not building. It's not uh, uh, Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings is a little bit of church. A little bit of an expression of who we are. It's when we gather together, yes, to strengthen, to encourage, to bless one another, sure. But we do that 24-7. Church is so much more than just a meeting, my friends. It's a set of relationships. It's people who care for me and love me. It's people I care for and love. People who encourage me that I want to encourage. People who stand with me. It's a real community. 24-7. And all of these things, all of this provision of God in our lives... Knowing who God is and understanding his phenomenal provision of our lives, I would want to suggest to you, is fundamental if we're going to be generous. You see, when we talk about being generous, for us we use this definition. Seeing the best. Seeking the best. Sharing of our best. If I'm going to be generous in how I see other people, I need to be secure that I'm loved. I need to be secure that these people have got my back as have I theirs. That we're going to speak well of one another. If I'm going to seek the best for others, if I'm going to encourage others, if I'm going to strengthen others, then I need to be sure that 
actually, I'm, I, I'm myself first of all secure. I want to be generous. If I want to give praise, if I want to express thankfulness, if I want to encourage others, well, I do that out of understanding, first of all, I've got a God who's made me secure, who's made me loved, who cherishes me. I do it out of that deep sense of my identities in Christ. If I'm going to share of my best, if I'm going to give my time, my energy, my love, my care to others, my money, all the other things, my resources, share of my home, my car, my power tools, whatever it may well be which is particularly precious to you. I'm going to want to do that out of something. I'm not just going to force myself to do it. I could try and force myself to do it, but it will just come law, and I'll get fed up of it very quickly. I'm going to want to do it because actually the grace of God's got hold of me first. Because I know I'm loved. Because I know I've got a generous God. A lavish God. God who lavishes grace and mercy over my life. Calls me precious and loved. Calls me son or daughter. Welcomes me into his family. Why do I want to be generous? I want to be generous because God is And I think Abraham's got hold of this. And so when they're on the plains and looking around with Lot, and Abraham goes, you know what? You know what, Lot? That was a tongue twister. Go and help yourself. What's he doing? He's expressing deep confidence that God's in control. That God's got a plan to bless him regardless. To look after him. And therefore he doesn't need to worry. And he can be lavish in his generosity to Lot. He can let him have the best land. Funny though, isn't it? How sometimes the best land isn't the best land. I think even that's a warning. A warning to us. Hey, be careful what we seek. Be careful what we seek. Jesus said this, didn't he? He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Put yourself, surrender yourself completely to that. And all these other things will be added unto you. Let's seek first the kingdom of God. That's Matthew 6, if you want to look it up later on. So what can we learn from Abram? We can learn... A number of things, I would suggest this. First one, God looks after his people. He looks after his people. Why? Because he loves us. His provision is comprehensive. Not just material, every aspect. God will look after his people. And if you have surrendered your life to him, if you have said the cross is sufficient for your sin, to be washed away, to see you restored to relationship with your father, then fundamentally you are one of his people. God looks after his people. The second thing is this. God is good and only has good plans for us. I think we need to get that deep in our spirits. I think we get lied to far too often. Doubt creeps in. And we think, oh, well, Surely I've just got to look after myself. No. 
God is good. He's got good plans for us. And actually, he's proficient at bringing them about. And if you doubt that God is proficient at bringing them about, please read your Bible. Because there's hundreds, literally hundreds of stories of how God brings his plans about in different people's lives. And so what's our response to be thirdly and finally? Submission and obedience. God, if you're good, if you look after your people, then I don't just want to surrender myself over my sin at the cross. I want to surrender my entire life and let my whole life count as an expression of love and devotion to you. I want to submit myself fully and completely and help me to be obedient to everything you've commanded me to. And of course, he even does that by filling us with his Holy Spirit to give us grace and power and authority to do just that. Friends, you may be thinking, oh, I thought you were talking on generous. I was. Understanding who God is, who we are, is at the core of us becoming a generous people. It's there that everything changes. It's not enforcing ourselves to give a bit more. It's not enforcing ourselves to, to push through on something. We're generous because of the grace of God over our lives. We're generous because we're thankful. We, uh, please, I, I know I'm speaking in the context of a gift week, but this isn't just about being generous with money or material possessions. This is generous throughout our lives. Seeing the best. Seeking the best. Sharing of our best. Generous in every way. A generous heart comes from understanding the enormity of God's generosity to us. Confident that God is good and he looks after his people. And that will affect how we see one another, how we see the best in others. That will free us to seek the best for others, not worrying because we know we are complete in God. And it will enable us to share of our best that God has blessed us with, recognizing that he is the one who provides for all of our needs, every single need, not just material, emotional, in every other way, spiritual. He provides for all of our needs. So we can be generous. Now, of course, we have got an offering this week, and you wouldn't be surprised if I was to not comment on it. So I just do want to explain what's happening. The first thing I want to start off by saying is this. If you're a guest here, please don't give. Okay, if you're a guest here, and suddenly there's about 200 people in this room thinking, I'm a guest. <laughs> Please don't give. Unless you really, 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 really want to. Because we don't want your money. Okay? 
just want to say that because too often the church has a history, not this church, but the church corporate has a history of appearing to want money. And we know that God is good and he is generous and we can trust him completely with everything to do with our church. And that includes the finances. But if you're part of this church, if you say this is us, this, is, this gift week is for us, okay? It's for us to participate in. What's this gift week about? Well, you should hopefully have had a chance to read the leaflet. It's been out a few weeks. If you haven't, there's one roughly on every other seat, so you can pick it up now and have a quick read of it. Basically, we've got two challenges we're facing as of today. And so we're looking to have this gift week. What we'd ideally love to be in the place of is being able to put all of this towards clearing the mortgage on this building. But the reality of our circumstances at this moment in time is our general fund, that's our regular giving fund, is still running a little bit low on its month-on-month budget. So we need to allocate half or the first £25,000 of this gift week to the general fund. That will top it up for this year and ensure that it has sufficient funds throughout this year for all of the things we're committed to. The other thing, though, is we also have a building which is ageing and we do need to refurbish. And uh, you will have seen some of the works we've done in the building already and there's more works underway. And so the next £25,000 of this gift week will be going to continuing to sort through the refurbishment issues which are outstanding with the building. Anything beyond that will go into our mortgage account to... Uh, reduce our mortgage. Our mortgage is about, I think, 630, 640,000, somewhere in that sort of ballpark at the moment. We're praying, God, would you clear that mortgage by the end of 2020? Now, if you do the sums, you realize that's only two and a bit years away. That's crazy. Yep, absolutely and totally crazy, unless God does something. Great news is, God does, regularly. And so we'll keep on praying for that. But part of our response in prayer is therefore we give as well. And we share of those resources God's given us for that purpose. So we've said our target right at the beginning of this year is we wanted to have two gift weeks, each of £50,000 plus gift aid. So that was our target. But we've also heard the prophetic. And we said at West Point there were some words about doubling. I said, ooh, is that for us? And what, what aspects of the life of the church does that mean? Well, I mean, the great news is our Alpha course has doubled. Based on historic trends, we have about double the number of folks that we normally do on Alpha. What was it, 12, 13, 14 you had on? Something like that? Couldn't do the maths, but somewhere around there, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, this last week on Alpha, first proper full week of Alpha with a number still sending in their apologies. Fantastic. Wouldn't it be great if God doubled our gift week? That actually we could meet those commitments for the general fund and the works on the building whilst still seeing 50,000 plus gift aid going to reduce the mortgage. Anybody starting to feel sick yet? Because does that mean I've got to double my giving? No. You need to give what God's put in your heart. That's what Paul teaches the Corinthians. Don't feel under any pressure. Just give what God's put on your heart to give. And each one of us will play our part like that and we'll see how it works out. We're not saying we've got to get 100,000. We're saying, wouldn't it be great though? Wouldn't it be fantastic? Massive step towards getting our mortgage down. 
Why do we want to get the mortgage now? Very simply, we want to be able to release those funds for other things, for other ministries into the town, for how we may then want to step on from here as a church, maybe planting other churches or other sites or congregations elsewhere, not having those financial restrictions placed on us of a mortgage and needing to pay £7,000 plus a month to service that mortgage. So that's what that leaflet basically says. So if you haven't read it now, to be frank, you don't probably need to, but you're very welcome to. On every other chair also is one of these uh, pledge cards, the Building Fund Gift Day Pledge 2018 Harvest Church card. My life, we like snappy titles, don't we? (laughs) And you may be here today and you may be thinking, yeah, I think I do want to give, but I have not got cash on me. I've not got my checkbook on me where you can fill in one of these cards. They're really easy to fill in. You just need your name, your email, your phone number. By the way, that's not so we can chase you and hassle you. We won't do that. And then you've got three boxes, one-off gift. I would like to pledge the following amount to be redeemed in the next three months. And you can put a lump sum in there. Or you may want to start to give regularly to the building fund. That's fine. That's the next box. Now, I would like to give regular gifts of X pounds per month for a number of months or open-ended with a start date. Dead easy. Great way to give. Helps us massively as well. Or you may want to just express, now I'm already doing this and that is my continuing commitment, but you may want that opportunity still to be able to express that because otherwise it feels like, well, I can't participate in this. I want anybody and everybody to feel free to participate. So I would like to change or continue our regular gift of, and you fill in the rest, and there's a start date. And then on the back, very helpfully, once you've put this in the offering, on the back are all the bank details, which you won't have because you put it in the offering. So you may want to take a second one so you've got the bank details so you can actually then make your offering uh, online uh, straight into our account. If you're writing a church uh, a cheque, though, it tells you that the cheque needs to be made payable to the Harvest Church Building Fund. So if you are writing a cheque, that's what it needs to be made. Um, sorry, I've got that wrong. It says checks made payable to Grainhouse Trust Building. Sorry. Okay, Grainhouse Trust Building. Grainhouse Trust, just to explain, is, our, is the charitable name of our church. Okay, Grainhouse Trust Building. So that's who you write checks to. That's on the bottom there if you read it properly, unlike me. And uh, uh, other bank details are there. And in a few minutes, what we're going to do is we'll take up an offering. And we're going to do it in... That place, as part of our worship, we're going to sing at the same point in time. So we'll have the band back as well. Just to say, if you're planning on giving cash and you have filled in a gift aid form, you may want to grab one of these envelopes. They're on the table over there. You can put your cash in there. You put your name on it, and then that allows us to claim gift aid. If you haven't filled in a gift aid form, there are also leaflets over there called Giving as part of Harvest Church. There's a gift aid form there. You can fill it in there and then. Or you can take it away and bring it back. We're going to have another offering like this next week. So if you're thinking, well, I don't know what I want to give yet. That's great. That's fine. Go away. Pray about it some more. We'll be taking up another offering next Sunday for those who aren't in the place where they're yet ready to give. You may want to take, therefore, the card away so you can be filling it in. Or the leaflet away so you can be reading about it further. I hope all that's clear. So, Kathy, band, could we have you back, please, to lead us in a final song of worship before we come to that place of worship though I'd like to ask us to stand and to pray 
And I want you to know what we're going to pray. Please stand. But I want you to know what we're going to pray before you pray it because you may not want to pray this with me. And so you need to know the essence of what we're going to pray. And uh, it's going to be this. The essence of it will be, Lord, help us to be a generous people and work in my heart. Do what's necessary in my life that I would grow in being a person who sees the best, seeks the best, and shares off the best. And so I'm now going to pray that prayer. And if you want to join me, then you can just pray it out under your breath. Or you can even pray it out out aloud after me. Father, we are so grateful for all that you are. We're amazed at what you've done. We want to see that we can be confident in you. In your amazing provision over our lives, Lord God. In every way. We want to celebrate you're a good father. We want to celebrate we can trust you. We want to celebrate you're faithful and good. You're loving in all your ways. And you're provided in every possible way for all that we need for life and godliness. And Father, we want to ask, help us to be a generous people. Help us to be generous in seeing the best of others. How we see things, how we respond to situations. Always see the best. Help us to be a generous people in looking to seek the best for others. That we're always looking to bless and extend grace and love and mercy to those around us into lots of different situations to express something of your magnificently generous heart to others. And help us, Lord, to share of all of the resources you've given us, our time, our energy, our material resources, our money, everything that we've got. Lord, we want to submit ourselves to you afresh today and say, help us to be a generous people just as you are a generous God. We pray, make it one of the characteristics of us as a church for the glory and honour of your name. We surrender to you. Say, Lord, have your way amongst us. Hallelujah. Amen. So let's.